We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Booker gets the switch with Mack. Mack being up. Booker raising up. And hit And Mack doing his best, but uh, your best against Devin Booker, not good enough. Booker raising up for the win. Devin Booker has done it again, guys. He did it. How amazing. How amazing was that? It, this, was, uh, this was an incredible, incredible night. This was the first game I've gone to. I got to see the team in person, and I got to see Devin Booker hit maybe his first game winner at home this season. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. We won, we won a game. We broke the streak. Finally. We won a game. Chris Hansen. <laughs> Seven in a row. Had his and account. We have a Chris Hansen, Mike, had his account blocked. I thought we would never win another game as long as his account was blocked by the Suns. We won a game tonight. This one goes out to you, Chris. I hope you're listening. Taking one for the team. We're joined by Rice Bledsoe, a guy known only as Rice Bledsoe on the Phoenix Suns Reddit. Rice, how are you doing? Yo, I am doing pretty good. Uh, it is Sunday, and I had nothing better to do than watch the Suns, and it turned out pretty good, so I'm happy to be here. Yeah, sicko mode on repeat. This has been incredible. Such a fun game to watch. Uh, they actually looked competent. I mean, it, it's funny how a team looks competent when you start to play only the best players on the team, right? <laughs> you know, it's really funny how that works out. You would think uh, any other outcome would happen. Sam, do you have any thoughts on this game? 
it didn't look too great for a while, to be honest. I mean, look, there's some things we could talk about. 24 turnovers, uh, obviously some major struggles here. But you got to love the uh, decision-making from Igor in a lot of ways. Mikhail Bridges killed it tonight. Um, 26 minutes, 5 for 6 from the field, a couple of clutch threes, 14 points, 2 steals. Um, and just the decision to go with Mikhail Bridges down the stretch. Notice how we didn't see any Josh Jackson really in the second half. Uh, I thought that was a phenomenal decision. I'm almost excited for that kid's future as I am for Devin Booker hitting the game winner tonight. You know, Mikhail Bridges is kind of exactly what we needed Trevor Ariza and Josh Jackson to be coming into the season. So it's yes. really perfect that we're seeing this so early. Yeah, is Mikhail Bridges our best perimeter defender so far? Yes. yes. It I, seems like he might I be. don't think it's a question. I mean, look, Josh I, Jackson has theoretically all of the tools, but from a practical standpoint, still gambles way too much on defense. Mikhail Bridges, he's got a longer wingspan than Jackson. He's got more quickness than Ariza. He just does a better job of staying in front of his man and being in the right spots at this point. I really don't think it's a question that he is the best perimeter defender this team has right now. You know, personally, uh, I'm holding out for that one possession that DeAndre Ayton was switched onto LeBron and actually held his own. <laughs> uh, and that... When I want to get when I wanted to get brought on for the Lakers game before we you know got blown out by twenty, I was about to say you know DeAndre Ayton's our best perimeter defender. <laughs> for a while he may have been. He's just really bad underneath. That's the that's the real problem with DeAndre Ayton. But I will say today DeAndre Ayton was actually really good on defense. He had a lot of good plays where he was protecting the rim. A lot of switches. They seemed to get down the the concept of, of what they want to do on pick and roll defense because for a while so far what I've been noticing is that on pick and roll defense DeAndre Ayton was stepping up onto the guard switching essentially and then the guard was just leaving the big man to roll directly to the rim so there was a couple of things I noticed in this game DeAndre Ayton was either showing what they call showing so stepping up on the big man and then drop or on the guard and then dropping back to the big man and giving the guard time to recover or if he switched completely, uh, there was help coming from either Ryan Anderson or the guards were being much, much more aggressive on uh, the roll man by trying to get in and dig just in case the pass did come in. Now, it's not going to work against every team. We're kind of lucky that Mark Gasol was just dog shit tonight. But it looked pretty good so far. Did you did you notice that, Sam? Yeah, I noticed the same thing. And I was going to allude to what you alluded to as well. Look, Mike Conley and Mark Gasol combined 5 for 29 tonight. It's not going to happen on a typical night, I would like to give DeAndre Ayton some credit. I'd like to give Elliot Kobo some credit as well. He didn't spend a lot of time guarding Mike Conley, but I thought he played some good perimeter defense uh, from the point guard position. However, that being said, on a typical night, the opposing team's best two players aren't going to play so poorly. And so, you know, there, there are, there's a lot of improvement that the Suns can still make, essentially. Um, that was a perfect segue to talk about Mark Gasol. I don't remember his scoop. You talked about his stat line, but the guy was held to two for thir- two for thirteen under the mm-hmm. basket. And uh, when we switched from um, an awful Tyson Chandler to Rashawn Holmes and DeAndre Ayton trying to beat him up down low, that's fantastic improvement. Yeah, Rashawn Holmes was really impressive tonight. Now, there's going to be, he's not perfect, he's not perfect, but what he does do is try every single moment he's on the floor, and that inspires other players. It's kind of what we got from uh, Alan Williams previously. Now, Alan Williams was never 
the guy that was just dominating, but what he did is bring up the energy of everyone else on the court. And to see Rashawn Holmes come on the floor, immediately get back-to-back offensive rebounds. He was only credited with two. I thought he had three offensive rebounds back-to-back-to-back from what I noticed. One of them ended in a turnover. Maybe that's why I didn't give it to him. But the fact that we have someone out there that's fighting in those plays, it's really nice to see because Tyson Chandler, he just doesn't got it anymore. He just doesn't have it. So speaking of Tyson Chandler, we haven't talked about this yet. (laughs) Tyson Chandler's gone and the Suns are undefeated in the post-Tyson Chandler era. And he's now uh, he's now on the dreaded Lakers. So that's a little interesting. <laughs> the Lakers. I feel fans. very confident that had Tyson Chandler played the eleven minutes Rashawn Holmes played today, the Suns would have been outscored by three extra points and lost this game. That's that's all I'll say. I think that it's even more than that. I think yeah, that those minutes, a little low. yeah, those minutes could have led to the team just giving up, and then it, it just ends in a blowout because. Morale matters with young guys. You have to keep them engaged. You have to keep their spirits high throughout the game. You can't just let the other team just sort of take control. That leads to giving up. And when you give up, that's the end. That's just the end, especially with a young team like this. So someone like Rashawn Holmes getting those minutes really mattered a lot. Um, Sam, did you have any other notes or anything else you noticed in this game? Uh, Well, let's see. Uh, We already touched on Bridges. Um, Oh, I want to talk a little bit about DeAndre Ayton offensively i think i think some suns fans were maybe a little bit frustrated especially those who didn't watch the game um noticed one of the first things you notice he only took four shots in 37 minutes and i think it's uh easy to get frustrated a little bit and and ask for igor to be running the offense a little bit more through um, deandre aden i do want to give credit to marcus all defensively though because i thought well two things first of all we really struggled to pass the ball to him Josh Jackson, especially with some of the entry passes, a couple of the worst entry passes I've seen in my entire life, trying to get the ball to DeAndre Ayton in the post. Uh, so obviously that's still... He just gave it, he to, just Marcus gave it to Marcus Hall. You know the play I'm talking about. So that's still a problem. Isaiah Kanan mm-hmm. is still not the solution, despite him shooting well tonight, still not a playmaker. But the other thing is, um, when Ayton did catch the ball, Marcus Saul had some crafty veteran defense on him, and Ayton just looked a little bit... Uh, timid tonight, frankly. So overall, I do think he had a really good game. Six assists, three steals, and two blocks. He was active defensively. Um, but it was kind of an interesting game for, for the young big man. A couple things on that. Uh, get used to it, yeah. Suns fans. That's, that's the first thing that I want to say because he's our best playmaker. Now, I'm not saying that he is a fantastic playmaker. I'm saying he's our best playmaker. And that means that he's going to be put in the position to be a playmaker. And that means a lot of catching the ball in the high post. Something that Sam and I have actually been wanting since Summer League. Forcing forcing it to him down low causes two problems. One, he gets doubled immediately, which could be good because he's good at passing it out. But two, we are not good at that pass. Like Sam was just talking about, Josh Jackson can't throw it. It's a it's a struggle for Isaiah Kanan. You know who's actually kind of good at it? It's Troy Daniels, and he's not getting any minutes because it's kind of like shooting a shot. <laughs> you have to lob that over defenders into his hands, and that's not an easy pass to make. So if you're forcing to him down low, that's going to turn into a lot of turnovers either by him or by the person passing it to him. So because we have no passers that are good at getting him the ball, we're going to give him the ball in another position, and he's going to actually playmake so what i've seen recently in the last few games is we're running a lot of split cuts with deandre and catching the ball in the high post and it's actually been really interesting to watch because you have josh jackson and devin booker screening for each other one guy cutting and one guy cutting out to the three-point line one or the other you saw josh jackson get a dunk out of one of those plays and it's really interesting to see the playmaking version of deandre ayton and what he's been doing so far i'm pretty excited about it did you notice that rice 
Yeah, I am really proud of the playmaking. I kind of just wish we'd stop doing all the dribble handoffs. You know, that's like part of the reason why we have so many turnovers as a team is guys are getting way too lax at the perimeter, but it seemed a lot stronger today despite the 24 turnovers. 22 turnovers, Jesus. Now, guys, I want to ask you a question. So, of course, TJ Warren out with back spasms didn't play tonight. I saw some talk online about, well, first of all, the Suns closed out this game with Isaiah Kanan, Devin Booker, uh, Trevor Reza, Mikhail Bridges. Of course, we talked about and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I saw some talk online about maybe the Suns have stumbled into that being their best lineup. That could potentially be their closing lineup from now on. But of course, TJ Warren has been one of the most surprising players for the Suns so far. Has played very well overall. How do you think he fits into that? And and what's your guys' take on what is the Suns' best lineup in order to close these close games going forward? This is a fantastic question. I'm so glad you brought this up because I was thinking about a couple of things about this. First of all, I think Mikhail Bridges is going to be starting by the end of this year. And I think that Trevor Ariza's natural position now is the power forward. He needs to play that power forward position. We've been talking about it since the offseason. It's part of the reason we wanted the team to sign him. Uh, he looks the best in that power forward position. So that means that you have to sort of slot TJ back into that six-man role. And I, and, he, and I know this is kind of rough to say because he's absolutely earned that starting spot. He's been really good so far. But if you have him in that six-man role, he's going against bench units. And that's a good situation for us on the team because he's a good scorer, but he absolutely feasts on second units. And if we have him in that position to actually score off the bench, I think he's versatile enough to make that um, viable for him. That's his long-term future, I think. But... We actually saw, I think maybe for the first time, and I could be wrong, maybe it happened in garbage time, but we actually finally saw the lineup of Booker, Jackson, Bridges, Aiton, and Ariza. So Booker, three wings, and Aiton for the first time in this game, and I liked how it looked. Now, Kanan might still be necessary in a lot of these lineups, depending on how Booker's doing as far as turnovers go. But I still think that that lineup is actually a pretty good lineup. Lots of defense, lots of shooting still because you have Ariza and you have Bridges. And I think that's more of the future. But, but you know, we'll see. We'll see because it, a lot of it rides on Booker. And he clearly was not healthy so far. Now, Rice, what did you think about um, the lineup that Sam was talking about? So if we're talking purely about closing games and we're saying, okay, I want to see Booker. Uh, right now, we just saw Booker, Aiton, Ariza, Kanan, and Bridges, right? If we're saying uh, TJ comes in and or okay, if we're saying that Kanan's out and TJ's in, I think the best thing to go is either take Ariza out because I really like uh, Warren's interior scoring, or we're just taking Kanan out and going uh, what four wings and eight. Uh, but if we're talking about who's going to be starting games, uh, I've always said yeah, I always thought Ariza was going to be the four that he's the one who you really holds it down. But at the same time. I was saying this in, in an earlier comment uh, on the game thread. I was saying the difference between how I tell between Ariza and Bridges on the court is that when Ariza shoots the shot, I know it's going to brick really far and really wide, and I don't have any confidence in it going in. But when Bridges takes the shot, I have a lot of confidence in it going in. So I completely agree. I think he is the most game ready between him and Jackson and even sometimes Ariza. I think he's like the most like contribution ready. So I can completely agree. Like He's going to be starting. Here's the thing about that. The advantage of having multiple wings 
is that you can play the one that is on fire at the end of the game. That means if Ariza or TJ Warren are the two guys that you're talking about for that final spot in that closing lineup, you play one or the other. That's what they do with Boston. Boston has all those wings. They're, sometimes it's Marcus Smart. Sometimes it's Jason Tatum. Sometimes it's Jalen Brown. It's whoever's on in that game. And that what's the point of having all of these wings if you don't have some sort of rotational versatility at the end of games? These guys can actually kind of be slotted in and out for each other uh, based on who's really playing well in that game or what sort of matchups you have in your favor. Um, I do wonder what this game would have looked like if TJ Warren played a little more, though. Honestly, I think that if TJ Warren plays, Mikhail doesn't get the burn that he gets. And, you know, it's really up to how TJ was feeling. Like, TJ had a really good start to the season, but the last few games he's kind of been uh, invisible, for the lack of a better word. Uh, So it's very possible it doesn't go the way that we wanted it to go. Well, with TJ, if I mean, if his shot turns out to be for real uh, within another 10 games or so, I think we can start to get into the second half of the season, really start to phase out Trevor Ariza, because let's face it, this isn't going to be uh, a team that's really competing for playoff positioning, and Trevor is on a one-year deal. You can start to lower Trevor Ariza's minutes if it means giving more minutes to TJ Warren and Mikhail Bridges, especially if TJ's able to hit that shot. I'd be a lot more comfortable playing him at that small ball four uh, even potentially in the starting lineup and running out a lineup of Bridges at the three, TJ at the four in your starting lineup. Uh, just because TJ, you sacrifice something defensively when you swap out Ariza for him, but he's such a crafty offensive player, such a better finisher than Ariza. Uh, and so, yeah, it really all hinges on a shot for me. I just had an interesting thought, and this is really long term, but say we're close to the deadline. Phoenix is well out of the playoffs race, but an Eastern Conference team probably... Well, probably not Toronto, but someone really needs to bolster their wing defense and really make a run at the Warriors. Would you, do you think Toronto would possibly consider an Ariza for DeLon Wright swap? Would be a really good thing short-term for the Raptors, really good long-term for the Suns. Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't think that the the salaries really line up. And in, in, in Toronto, I think, is maybe even over the cap, so I doubt they can even take on any money more than they're giving up. So they probably would have to give up some more salary in that move. So I, I'm going to play on the trade machine with that one. That's a really interesting thing. One thing I want to talk about, though, I was at the game, and if if you guys noticed, there wasn't a lot of people there, uh, which is kind of sad, because if Devin Booker's playing so far, it's a bit of a show. you got to go see him. It was really fun to see. Now, a couple things on it. The crowd was actually really fun tonight, so there's something about when the, the arena's about 70% full, which is what I would guess for a game like this. Um, usually if it's about 70% full like that, it means that there's not a lot of fans for the other team. And as you can imagine, there's not a lot of Memphis Grizzlies fans in Phoenix. So what that means, though, is that everyone there is a Suns fan. So when it's getting tight at the end of the game, you can feel it. Everyone's really into it. It's different when there's like a Lakers or Knicks or the, the Bulls. There's a lot of Chicago Bulls fans out here. Because when it gets close, there's an adversarial thing in the crowd where there's half of the crowd that's sort of there for uh you know the Suns and maybe uh half of the crowd that's there for the other team that's really frustrating so even though it was relatively empty it was actually a really fun game to see the crowd is really into it and and you know like I said it might be Devin Booker's first game winner at home as far as I know uh so that was also awesome to see but uh what do you think about the attendance so far uh Rice what about you so I really okay first I'm gonna ask you a question because I'm not a Phoenix native an Arizona native even uh, I, and you've been you have season tickets, so you've been going to every single every single game that you could go to. Uh, what are the upper level ticket prices like? Uh, cheap. 
<laughs> they are not uh, very expensive. You can get in for uh, twenty to thirty dollars at a game like uh, the game today. Okay, that's not that's not bad at all. Um, but even the lower even the lower levels are kind of like in the same cheap area, or do the lower levels not really? Uh, get discounts. I would say a game like today, it's 60, 60, 70 dollars for for a lower level, just sort of a 15, 16th row type seat. Uh, pretty good seats. There's not a lot of bad seats in the arena, so it's not relatively expensive. Not not that it couldn't still be cheaper from where it is. That's not that's not bad at all, right? Uh, but you look at a team like Sacramento, who, despite, I mean, they're they're doing they're doing great right now, but despite you know having kind of a, a trash product out on the floor for the last five. 14 years, um, they still sell out They still sell out seats, and that's because of the generosity of uh, Ron Adive. And we all know the anti-generosity of Sarver. You know, he's kind of infamous <laughs> for that. Uh, you know, it's really just a business decision for him. You got to pay a little to make a little. And you can really, if you lower the ticket prices, which are already pretty low, but, you know, the Suns right now are performing as one of the worst teams. You have to have one of the cheap, cheapest ticket prices to kind of boost team morale. And that's how, if you lower ticket prices, Rob Sarver, I'm fucking begging you. If you lower ticket prices just a little more, get those deals out to those starving ASU students and U of A students. You could really contribute to a winning culture. You have something to build on here. Just lower the ticket prices a little more. <laughs> I love that. I just want to intervene there quickly. I mean, Mike, uh, you would know this better than me, but isn't there a student pass? I mean, can't you get in if you are an ASU or U of A student for like $5? You can actually, yes. If you know, for any college students that are living in this area that uh, have it, you, what you can do is you can sign up. It's just Google Suns Student Pass. You can sign up. They'll send you a text message on the day of the game or the day before the game. You can buy tickets for five, ten dollars, and uh, you don't know where you're sitting until maybe a few hours before the game. But it's totally worth it if you're just trying to get in there. It's definitely worth it. My my whole thing is I don't think they've really fought, they've really created an environment that college students want to really come to. That's I, I mean that's the truth of it. I I don't I don't. Think they have um, now. You guys aren't from here, but I do want to say uh, for Suns fans that do go to a lot of games, where's Weezy at? Weezy is the guy who's been the, sort of the hype man for the last few years, and so far in these games, they've just been using the uh, actual arena announcer in in breaks to actually introduce breaks and do the whole hype thing before you uh, cheer for the fourth quarter and stuff like that. Mm, I'm not a big fan of that. We need Weezy back, so. Um, before we let you go, Rice, I want to talk about Tyson Chandler being bought out again one more time. Um, how do you feel? Let's start. Actually, Sam, let's start with you. How do you feel about Tyson Chandler joining the Lakers? What do you think about that? Uh, he's being set up for failure. Look, I mean, he might be a little bit better uh, than he was with the Suns. I just I think it's funny how much the narrative has shifted. Uh, and that's sort of what prompted if you've seen our Twitter page today, then th- that's what prompted me creating a video of some of Tyson Chandler's defensive highlights on this team so far because his defense has been a joke through eight games. And Rashawn Holmes didn't have such a great performance today. Basically, the only thing we saw out of Rashawn Holmes was that he was willing to contest shots on defense and that he's young enough that he still has a second bounce to him where he can, you know, actually go after rebounds and and offensive rebounds. Tyson can't do that anymore. Uh, So maybe Tyson for the Lakers is better than them playing Kuzma at the five or giving extra minutes to Zubats, but I... I just don't see how he's some sort of savior for that team. He's really not NBA caliber anymore. Yeah, we signed him, and he was 32 going on 33. And we knew, like, okay, we're going to get this, paying, pay this guy $14, 15000000 million into his dog days. And he's uh, getting, like, the worse than mellow, mellow treatment now. But for some reason, people are thinking, like, oh, he's still going to be 2011 Tyson Chandler. They're making the same mistake we did when we fucking signed him, right? 
Yeah, no, it's just, it's more indication that people haven't watched the Suns in three or four years, but who can blame mm -hmm. them? You know, why would mm -hmm. you watch this garbage product? We're on national TV two times a year, we get blown out by 40 every time, except for this one <laughs> win over the Mavericks. So when when that sort of narrative rears its ugly head again, like, I can't say I'm surprised, but at the same time, yeah, Tyson's washed. I think it's a good fit for him uh, to be playing with LeBron, another really good player who's also old and doesn't play defense. Sorry, I'm kind of shitting on LeBron here. I know he doesn't deserve that. He's the best player. In He's the retired. <laughs> He's retired. But yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. Rice, I just want to say thank you so much. We finally got you on. We're really happy to have you. You let, In my mind, you represent the whole Reddit community, so I'm really happy to have you on. And, and, you know, of course, we came from that Reddit community. We love you guys, and we're really happy that we're able to sort of represent all of them together. It's nice to finally have a conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, and I can't tell if that's a compliment or not. But, you know, go, go, <laughs> go Reddit sons. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Sam and I are going to break down the matchups coming up. And we're going to talk about some things that we've noticed so far this season. Sam, I want to talk about something real quick, uh, and it's Igor Kokoshkov. Now, I've seen a lot of fans on Twitter and on Reddit and everywhere else that I engage with fans talking about how disappointed they've been in or really going sort of over the line, or not over the line, just really dramatically criticizing Igor Kokoshkov so far. And I just want to mention a couple things. Uh, first off, playing the vets makes sense. Now, guys, I, I know that it's so frustrating to watch a team lose by 20 points and then say, well, why are we playing Anderson? Why are we playing Ariza? Why are we playing Tyson Chandler? Maybe Tyson Chandler was because we were just trying to uh, showcase him for a move. Now we know that. But uh, beyond that, I just want to say it makes sense for a young coach to try and actually give a chance to the veterans before you start yanking them. We haven't even played 10 games yet, guys. 10 games. There's 82 games this season. Give the coach a chance to play and get used to their veterans so that he understands what they're capable of and what they can do when he puts them on the floor. Now, I know that we want to see the young guys play, but they're going to play. There's a lot of games left in this season. They're going to get a lot of playing time. It makes sense for Igor to say, okay, Ryan Anderson, you're not making shots. Well, I'll give you a few more chances, and if you still don't make shots, I'm going to start moving you down further down the lineups. That makes sense, guys, because shooters do go into slumps, and a lot of the problems with Ryan Anderson would be solved if he was just making threes at the normal rate that he was making them previously. And as far as playing Ariza, now we've seen that Ariza kind of has his ups and downs so far, so I understand the frustrations with Ariza. But Ariza's one of those guys that can get the team going just off effort and off hitting threes, and we saw it against Memphis, and we saw it a little bit against Toronto. So I think it makes sense to leave him on the floor too. And, and the main thing I want to say is don't worry, don't worry, because every sort of criticism that we've had so far, there seems to be a move made in the roster, in the lineups that Igor has done to correct those uh, maybe mistakes that we've seen in the past. We've seen more Mikhail Bridges minutes. We've seen more Elia Kobo minutes, and these guys earn it. Give them a chance to earn these minutes. It's not such a bad thing that we're not gifting minutes to young guys. We've seen that be detrimental to guys like Dragon Bender in the past. Uh, Sam, what do you think about this? Well, you make a really good point in the sense that um, 
it it just makes sense. It's really easy when you watch every game as a fan to get lost in the little details. But in the grand scheme of things, you're absolutely right. It's been 10 games. Uh, it makes sense. Every decision that Igor has made to this point has been logical. Uh, and I don't blame him for playing guys like Jamal Crawford and Ryan Anderson to the extent that they've played so far. Now, now that we kind of know that we have these young guys who maybe can play with a little bit of consistency like Mikhail Bridges and Elia Kobo, of course, I want to see Jamal Crawford phased out of the lineup. I want to make that very clear right now. Um, but I don't fault Igor whatsoever for making the decisions he's, uh, he's made so far. Yeah, and I feel the same way. It's just... I think that over time, things will kind of even out, and I think people are getting a little too close. I think it's clear to me, and maybe this is not the case for you, Sam, but I think it's clear to me that Igor Kokoshkov is the best head coach we've had since Alvin Gentry, just hands down, and that's only in 10 games because this team is moving the ball well. They seem to have some sort of system set up, and he's been dealt a bad hand. He doesn't have the pieces that he needs to actually... uh, do what he's capable of as a coach. I've liked the in-game changes that he's made so far. The lineups today were actually really interesting. I've liked the moves that he's made as far as the rotational movements. I like the way the offense looks. Our defense, a lot of our defensive struggles are not coaching related. Now, there's been some weird schematic issues, but I've seen a lot of changes in those schemes in the coming, in the recent games, I should say. And I just think we've, we're a little too quick to criticize. And the other thing is, don't, I feel like a lot of times people forget that these are actual people. Um, And for two reasons. One, if you take Ryan Anderson out because he's missed a few threes at the beginning of the season and you just bench him, that kills him for when you do need him in the future. Games like today when... TJ Warren has back spasms, and we need Ryan Anderson to come off and give us some, at least some, valuable minutes and hit at least some shots for us. And and maybe maybe that's not his future. Maybe he's not capable of doing that anymore. But we can't kill their confidence. We've seen how that affects players. Like I, I hate to keep using him as an example, but we've seen that how that <laughs> affects players like Dragon Bender. Yeah. It's just the truth. Yeah, it's just the truth. I do. I just want to say, I do think Ryan Anderson, I still have faith. Um, Ariza, we've seen up and down. I think Ariza still has some stuff left in the tank. Anderson is going to get out of this shooting slump eventually. What I'm concerned about is his disastrous transition defense and, you know, maybe still a lack of effort on that end. I mean, he's just not as capable as if you just slide in some of these wings we're talking about, like a TJ Warren and Mikhail Bridges, even Josh Jackson, and try to play them at the four. From a defensive standpoint, that's much more effective. Um, but you're right. You can't just bench Anderson. He's going to get it together eventually. And we need him to hit shots because his gravity is still so essential to this entire scheme that's being set up. If the point is to get Devin Booker easier looks, Ryan Anderson is an integral part of that. Yeah. And to your point about Trevor Reza, by the way, because you're saying that he was up and down. Now, I think that we just have to come to terms with this is just the Trevor Ariza experience. He's going to have a couple great games, and then he's going to have a complete dog turd that he's going to lay on the court. And we're just going to have to get used to that because we can't expect a lot. And to his credit, he's he's 34. Like He's, he's not a young guy anymore, so you can't expect um, guys like that to bring it every single night and I do believe that I think he's the type of guy that can kind of get up for the big games and as much as it's kind of sad to say that 10 games into the season Sunday night against Memphis is a big game but it is we've had one win we need to not kill the morale of the guys on this team um now another thing I want to talk about is uh Devin Booker now I will tell you Sam (laughs) that until the fourth quarter of this game against Memphis I was preparing a rant 
about how dare they play Devin Booker when he's clearly not 100% because <laughs> I was worried about him because this is our $150 million star. Like This is the future of this team. We cannot allow him to make decisions that put his own health in jeopardy. Of course, he wants to get out there and play. He's a 21-year-old player watching his team get murdered without him on the court. 22. Of course he wants to get out there and play. 22-year-old, yeah. Uh, and, of course, he wants to play. Sometimes you have to save them from themselves, and I got a little worried about that, but as soon as the fourth quarter starts, it's like, well, now we need him. And even in that Dallas game where he dominated, he was injured there. He was just coming off of that hand injury. So um, I take that all back. Now, I'm not going to criticize him for that because, clearly, we just need him. And if, and if 70% is what we're going to get out of him, well – we can still win with 70% of Devin Booker. That's probably still the best player on our team. Now, he's been insanely efficient this year. Now, it seems like he's actually getting better on offense. Would you agree, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. There are still issues. Um, his playmaking is is suspect, um, and I've questioned <laughs> in the past and will continue to do so. He's really good, by the way, at getting to the free throw line, um, like maybe sort of approaching... I don't want to quite say this yet, but maybe eventually one day could be approaching Harden levels of drawing contact from his defenders and getting to the free throw line. And he's like a 90% free throw shooter as well, maybe 85 to 90%. So that's one way to really get your true shooting percentage up if you're talking about efficiency. Um, but, you know, as an offensive player, he has it all at this point. He's got the efficient mid-range game that he was able to rely on tonight when the three-point shots weren't falling. Um, obviously, on your typical night, you can usually trust in his three-point shot. Uh, and he's got a great driving game now as well. So he's the complete package, and I don't know. I don't think anyone is questioning that at this point. Absolutely. It's really fun to watch a guy that just gets better and better and better and better, and we can we can just sort of assume that that's going to keep happening. He's still very, very young. Uh, speaking of young guys, one quick thing on Mikhail Bridges. Now, I did talk about this. Uh, if you guys didn't hear, I was on the 7 Seconds or Less podcast. Those guys are awesome. They brought me on as a guest. And I was doing some research for what we were talking about on that podcast, and I discovered that out of the 10 best lineups, if you filter it by minutes, out of the 10 best lineups that the Suns have played as far as net rating, so actual plus minus on, on, on the court, Mikhail Bridges is in the top eight so he's been insanely effective on this team. He just does a lot of things that matter. He's got that length. He gets deflections. He reaches in. He's able to get steals. A better finisher than I expected so far. He's had a few and ones. And then today, he was four of five from the three-point line. So he's been really effective so far. Yeah, I mean, he's a perfect long-term third complement to Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And in an ideal offensive system where those are your first and second options, Bridges could be a great third option just because he doesn't need the ball in his hands to succeed. You can stick him in the corner or on the wing, and that's where he was so effective tonight. We've had questions about Josh Jackson being able to do the same thing, where Josh Jackson is really a guy where it seems like he needs the ball in his hands. Um, and he's not he's just not so good at creating for himself at this point where you would ever want to give him the ball and allow him to sort of be a playmaker if you have Devin Booker on the floor as well. But Bridges just fits the rest of this offense and, and the current makeup of this roster like a glove it's just it's a perfect fit yeah maybe you know it's funny you brought up josh jackson there is this josh jackson's role so he had 13 minutes today 
He was two for two. He somehow still got four turnovers in those 13 minutes. Um, but I think that's something that we can get down a little bit now. If we, if we just sort of help him understand that he doesn't need to force the ball underneath to DeAndre Ayton. I think two of the turnovers were from that. Uh, but 13 minutes, maybe 13 to 15, maybe less than 20 minutes a game. Is this the role that we can see Josh Jackson settling into coming up? Um, assuming no injuries. Of course, injuries throw everything off. But how do, how do you feel about this kind of role for Josh Jackson? It seemed pretty good tonight. Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, it seemed okay. I'm still not happy with the turnovers. And I would still like, I've talked about it before, but I would still like to see Josh Jackson play with Devin Booker because I do think that's how you get the most out of him. It's so hard to justify doing that, though. When Bridges is a better fit to play with Devin Booker, and then you also have a superior player in either TJ Warren or Trevor Ariza, um, maybe to fit as that small ball four. I think the only way you could get away with it is if you move Booker to point guard and you run what we were just talking about before. Booker at the one, Aiden at the five, and three wings in between. At, at which point, you know, maybe you can hope Josh Jackson either bulks up a little bit and plays four. I think we have to give up. Actually, I want to walk back when I, what I was about to say. I don't think we have to give up on Josh Jackson being a playmaker, but... I think maybe the best role for him at this point is bulking up a little bit, playing that small ball four, um, and just focusing all of his energy into defensive plays and uh, maybe scoring in transition and off cuts. That's that's the best you can ask of him. If that comes in fifteen, if that comes in fifteen to twenty minutes instead of twenty five or thirty, so be it. Yeah, maybe not give up on his playmaking in the future, but maybe just come to terms with the fact that there's not yeah, much I, there now. I just want to make it clear. Yeah, no, not give up on it. It's just. Let's be honest, it wasn't, it's not what it was advertised to be. So we got three games coming up this week. Uh, and, and they're three interesting games. Now, nothing, nothing like what's happened, the games that we've had in the last few weeks. What a first month, by the way. Uh, that was rough, 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 rough. Uh, but we got some interesting ones. So the first one is the Nets. So the Brooklyn Nets are going to be here on Tuesday. So uh, two days from when we're recording this. Now, Brooklyn... Um, it's easy to sort of assume Brooklyn's bad, mm. but Brooklyn maybe isn't as bad as we think. They, they, they've they sort of put together a really interesting team. Of course, they have one of Devin Booker's closest friends in D'Angelo Russell. Karis LeVert's been really good. Jared Allen's been really good defensively and has had some monster dunks so far. And then, of course, we know about Spencer Dinwiddie. We've talked about him all offseason. How do you feel about this Nets game? Not not that great. If you're talking about predicting a win, yeah. the momentum would be really nice. It would be really nice to get two wins in a row. Uh, don't take this Brooklyn squad for granted. Chris LeVert right now, um, I know people credit Sean Marks all the time for, for sort of building this ragtag group in Brooklyn. What a shitty hand he was dealt when he came to that team. But uh, really, right now, Chris LeVert looks great. He's averaging 20 points, 4.6 rebounds, 4.4 assists. Uh, and he's one of the best drivers in the league right now he's actually fifth in uh terms of field goal attempts off of drives out of anyone in the nba right now he's converting them at 56 percent, which is very very good compared to all the other guys who are taking that many shots and then the entire offense opens up around that penetration with just shooters whether it's d'angelo russell spencer dinwiddie um joe harris is another one so this brooklyn team has its struggles particularly defensively but this is not necessarily there are no easy wins for phoenix i mean you just can't take any opponent 
uh, opponent for granted, and Brooklyn is included in that. Yeah, but I think it's going to be a rough game for us because we don't have, one, we don't have very good guard defense right now because if this Memphis Grizzlies game was a preview of what's coming, then you can expect every single team to sort of attack Isaiah Kanan because that's what's, that's what was happening tonight. There was a lot of uh, screens and cuts, and, and guys were just going directly at Isaiah Kanan. And when you have a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who's a tall point guard, that's I think he's six six, and he's matched up against Isaiah Kanan, you can expect them to attack the glass. I mean, Memphis, they had, what, Shelvin Mack, he had 21 points. Uh, Brooks had 17 points. The other Brooks had 11 points. Uh, Conley had 12. You know, we talked about him. He wasn't great. Temple had eight of his own. There was a lot of guards just attacking and attacking and attacking. And I, I think that uh, that's what this that's what this is going to look like for um, the Nets. Now, I think we're in a good position where if a guy like Ariza is really locked in and he's guarding Karis LeVert, that's a good position for us. But uh, it's not going to be... Well, first off, they have a better record than us, so technically they are a better team so far. Yes, they are an East team, and we've looked okay against Toronto. I mean, we looked okay against If we play like we did against Toronto against Brooklyn, I think we could win that one. Um, I would say I'm going to tell it right. I'm going to say it right now. I think I think we could. I think this is a winnable game. I think we're going to win this one at home. Yeah, it's a winnable one, especially at home. Um, while we're on the topic, I mean, uh, we should just bring it up. Spencer Dinwiddie, still a point guard that I would like to see in a Phoenix, uh, Phoenix uniform. I think he would make this offense flow a lot smoother. But because this Brooklyn team is currently 4-6, and six, it gets to the point where the East is so bad if they're in the playoff hunt. You have to wonder, like, how bad does Brooklyn have to be to be willing to be sellers at the deadline instead of buyers, where they wouldn't be willing to just necessarily throw a point card like Spencer Dinwiddie away for a late first-round pick or something like that. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's very unlikely. Yeah, unfortunately. It's unfortunate, but I think it's just very unlikely. Yeah. They're not in. They're not in a mode of where they need to just load up and load up and load up on draft picks by getting rid of talent. I don't think they're at that place anymore. Maybe I could see D'Angelo Russell being on the trade block. To be honest, and I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. Actually, you know what, Sam? Would you want D'Angelo Russell? We haven't had this conversation. Would you want D'Angelo Russell on the Suns? Uh, I wouldn't mind it. It would be better than anything we currently have. Uh, defensively, we might. <laughs> defensively, we might be talking about. A disaster waiting to happen. I don't know. But D'Angelo, here's the thing. Have we seen any improvement out of D'Angelo Russell whatsoever, really, in, in four years? No. But that doesn't negate the fact that he's still a much better point guard than any point guard currently on this team. So it all depends about value. I don't think D'Angelo Russell's value is very high right now. Um, so you have to consider all your options. I think it would be a lot like trading for Alfred Payton, that, to be you know, honest. That's, that's not... A bad comparison, but here's the difference. D'Angelo Russell is hitting 40% of his threes this year. Um, Alfred Payton couldn't do that. Other than that, it might be exactly yeah. a pretty similar player. Well, and what I mean is it, it, they're in a similar place in their contract. So D'Angelo Russell has not signed an extension, so he is he would be in the last year of his contract uh, next year. Uh, he could be a restricted free agent after that. It's just that it's about that time of the year where you could trade for him, and it's just an interesting situation for a guy like uh, D'Angelo Russell. Actually, maybe he's in the last year of his contract this year, and then you'd have the choice of whether or not you want to sign him in this summer with his restricted free agency. And he's good, but he's not shown that he's at the value of where he was picked. I think he was third overall, and he just hasn't really shown to be that kind of valuable uh, of of a guy. But you're right; he probably would be the best. He would be the at least the best offensive point guard that we have on the roster right now. I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced on D'Angelo Russell. So we'll see. I, I could actually see him being available, though. We'll see what uh, what that looks like in the future. 
So the next game after the Nets game, another home game against the Boston Celtics. Now, you might know this about the Boston Celtics, but Devin Booker scored a lot of points against them once. Did he? He actually has, yeah, <laughs> he actually has his highest uh, average points. How many of those were uh, empty? Of any team. <laughs> all 70 of them. I'm pretty sure. It's all 70. Yeah, none of them mattered, actually. I'm pretty sure. Um, it doesn't matter unless you win. None, nothing, nothing ever matters unless you win. Uh, so the Celtics. Now the Celtics, they even though they sort of have been out to a rocky start, they still have a very good record and they're very, very, very good. But for some reason, the Suns seems to play. The Suns seem to play the Celtics actually pretty good every time that we play against them. How do you feel about this Celtics game? Well, obviously the the odds aren't great, but here's one thing I'm really excited for. DeAndre Ayton's performance tonight, nine points, eight rebounds, six assists, great defensively. I mean, doesn't that sound like Al Horford to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it I does. mean, it, it's a great matchup we have uh, when the Celtics come to town between Al Horford and DeAndre Ayton. The two systems are, are honestly very similar, and the way the head coaches, Igor Kokoshkov and Brad Stevens, are using these two centers, um, you know, mm-hmm. with the exception, of course, being Al Horford shoots five threes a game. Ayton isn't comfortable yes. doing that yet, but... As playmakers, they're used very similar, uh, similarly, and I think that's going to be a great matchup to watch. As for our odds of, of winning the game, it's going to be tough. It's, yeah, it's low. I would call it low <laughs> against this team. But I uh, do have a dream. I do have a dream, and that's Jason Tatum shoots 3 for 20. Josh Jackson plays 40 <laughs> minutes, scores 40 points, and ends Jason Tatum's career with a, the best dunk that we've seen from him yet. That would be, that would be nice, but... Not quite as real. I'm, we're on poster watch. We're on poster watch with Josh Jackson. He keeps going up on guys, and he's missed every single dunk that he's tried <laughs> to really posterize guys. So it's going to happen at some point. It's going to fall. So I'm excited to see it. If it was against Jason Tatum, I think I would pass out immediately. But uh, since you brought it up, at what point in the season is DeAndre Ayton going to shoot a damn three? I want to see it already. Yeah, I want to see it. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want to load his plate with too much. He looks really hesitant from out there. Uh, right now he does whenever he catches the ball unless it's at least a few feet inside the three-point line he's not even really thinking about shooting it you don't see I mean and that's the smart thing to do you don't want him yes uh, it's coaching yeah you don't want him to be taking any shots with his foot on the line but eventually I would like to see it um I I don't think we're gonna see it maybe at all this season I don't know it's it's hard with this Celtics team because it's a tough matchup at basically every position you know they're loaded with wings so all of our wings are going to be busy but they also got Kyrie Irving so Isaiah Kanan guarding Kyrie Irving you can have Jalen Brown guarding Devin Booker that's rough for him too Al Horford is one of the best defensive centers in the NBA Marcus Morris has been very good I hate to say it I don't want to give him Mm -hmm. the credit that he deserves but uh, he's been very good he's good on defense he's he's solid offensively I think he might be their best three-point shooter so far this season uh, and then we get to see a guy in Terry Rozier. Now, I don't know if you saw this, uh, but the, the King blog boy himself, blog Bill Simmons, uh, tweeted King. about Terry Rozier struggling on the Celtics. He said, uh, you know, it's, it's been hard for Terry Rozier without starting. Uh, he needs to be in a, a, a bigger role. So, of course, all Suns fans are going to be watching this game, sort of scouting Terry Rozier as maybe a, a potential point guard for the Suns in the future. Did you see that? And how do you feel about Terry Rozier? Yeah, I didn't see what Bill Simmons said. Um, has he said anything about Marcus Smart recently? Don't mean to be the dead horse, but the guy is shooting thirty <laughs> percent. Marcus Smart is shooting thirty percent from the field right now, and uh, I believe Bill Simmons said that he would take Marcus Smart alone over Tyreek Evans and Doug McDermott combined 
when he was um, crapping on the Pacers offseason a few weeks back. So I just think that's funny. But how do I feel about Terry <laughs> Rozier? I will not miss an opportunity to bring that up. How do I feel about Terry Rozier? Uh, well, I don't want to pay him $20 million, but uh, he is, again, uh, similar to the D'Angelo Russell situation, similar to the Dinwiddie situation. Uh, probably a better point guard than anything the Suns have right now. It's just how can you trust anyone coming from the Boston system? You know? Yeah. It's how, how can you trust that? Here's the thing, though. Do playoff performances matter? Because we've seen him perform at the highest stage, and I think that does matter. I, you know, Maybe if you don't make the playoffs, it doesn't matter at all. But the fact that we've seen it happen, I think that, that leaves a, a lasting impression on me at least. I do, think it, I do think it matters. It leaves a lasting impression on you because they're playing at the highest stage with all that pressure, and they have so many eyes on them. But on the other hand, people tend to overrate playoff performances. I mean, Terry Rozier played well. Don't get me wrong, he averaged 16 and 6 in the playoffs. I'm looking at it right now, but he still only shot 41% from the field, 35% from deep. He was not playing at an all-star level, and I understand that stats in general tend to go down. Efficiency goes down in the playoffs as defenses tighten up. But if you give too much credibility to these playoff performances, I mean, that's how you start seeing $15 million a year contracts thrown at guys like Bismack Biyombo, Matthew Dellavedova. Uh I could I can't think of any more right now, but like, you know, these types of like role players who are thrust into these starting roles a little bit too quickly and given major contracts solely based off a couple of good playoff games, it doesn't always turn out so great. Yeah, that's true. Rondo, there's another yeah. one. Um, now, I, looking at this roster, well, first off, Boston's been struggling on offense. Well, a good cure for a struggling offense is playing against the Phoenix Suns. So have fun, Boston, with that one. But looking at this roster, the most likely guy to get uh, the Josh Jackson poster, I got to give a shout out, Aaron Baines. He gets posterized all the time. Props to him for going up to block every dunk that's attempted, but you're going to get posterized a lot this season, Aaron Baines. Now, one last game that we're going to cover before our next podcast, that is the Pelicans game. Now, this is the only road game in this coming week. It's Suns at Pelicans. Now, the Pelicans have been pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they, of course, have maybe, well, they maybe have the best uh, player in the NBA so far, or one of the best players in the NBA in Anthony Davis. Now, they do have a losing record. I think they're 4-5. Yeah, they're on a five-game losing uh, how streak. Do you, how do you feel? Well, they're skidding. Oh, a five-game losing yeah, streak. Yeah, they started out 4-0. Uh, but now they have five straight losses. Now, to be fair to them, they played Utah, uh, Denver, Golden State, Portland, and San Antonio. So that's, I mean, that's basically a death march right there. Like, I, you know, I wouldn't expect them to to do well over that stretch. Those are maybe the five hardest teams to play right now in the Western Conference. Um, so, look, it's it's going to be another tough one on the road. The Suns have yet to win a road game this year. Um, and I don't necessarily see why they would against, again, one of the best big, the best big man in the NBA and Anthony Davis. Um, but it's possible. I don't know. It's, it's, I, it's unlikely. It's un, yeah. I think possible, but unlikely. Yeah. Might be I mean, I'm trying to run podcast. through my mind sort of these <laughs> simulations of how would you even beat this team? What you have going for you <laughs> is that the Pelicans don't have any depth. Outside, Miritich has been fantastic so far. Etwan Moore is consistent. Obviously, you have Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. That's so like a solid four. Actually, Alfred Payton, he's missed a few games, but he's played pretty well so far too. And Julius Randle. After those those starting yeah, and Mir- after those starting five or six, they have basically nothing. 
Now, here's a problem. The Suns, after their best three or four players, have basically nothing. So it's it's not exactly <laughs> like you can use the lack of depth thing as an advantage towards Phoenix. Yeah. Another test for DeAndre Ayton. He's, it, it seems like he's going to be guarding Anthony Davis throughout the night. Of course, uh, they have Julius Randle. They have Nikola Mirotic. That, that's a rough, uh, for whoever's playing power forward in that game, that's a rough uh, duo to guard because uh, they're both good and they both do different things. Nikola Mirotic, I think, is an interesting power forward we should look at in the future because I think he would be a good fit next to DeAndre Ayton, by the way. Um, Drew Holiday always seems to kill us, so that's going to be rough. And, of course, another familiar face, Alfred Payton, is uh, on the Pelicans, so we can see Alfred Payton against the Suns. And, of course, Alvin Gentry, another familiar face. Um, That's going to be a really rough game. I think this is probably, in my opinion, even more than the Boston game, the game that I would guarantee a loss as far as this uh, week goes because, this, like you said, this team has not been good on the road, and the Pelicans are good, and they have a guy that... Here's the thing about Anthony Davis. I know you know he signed Rich Paul. So he signed up with Clutch Sports. That's his new agency. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that Anthony Davis signed with Clutch Sports is because, from what I've heard, he believes that he is one of the best players in the NBA and he's not known as that. Well, that means that a guy like that who's got that attitude, when he's going against the number one pick in the NBA, he's going to want to give it to him. And he's and he's got the capabilities to give it to him. So we're probably going to see a monster game from Anthony Davis. Yeah, and he's killed the he kills every team, but he's killed the Suns in the past as well. Um, it's gonna it might be like the Jokic matchup, but even worse. Um, Aiton might get dogged in that game. We'll see. Yeah, I think it's not. Here's the thing: when it happens. Don't be too sad about it. He kills everyone. Yeah, that's that, what Anthony Davis does. Exactly. Uh, you know, that's what he does. And if they continue this skid, they're going to take it out on the Suns. We've seen it happen throughout this season. Any other thoughts on this game? Well, the Mirandich pairing is just so perfect for him. Just comparing the the Boogie Cousins, Anthony Davis front court versus now Julius Randle, Nikola Mirotic, and Anthony Davis. You wouldn't have thought that it would be a better combination, but it, it's really looking like it might be. Now, I don't think... 22 points and 11 rebounds per game is sustainable for Nikola Mirotic, but uh, you're definitely right. This guy's an unrestricted free agent coming up this season, and it's basically like an advanced version, a less washed-up version of Ryan Anderson. So maybe that is something that the Suns want to consider locking up long-term as a a potential free agent option. Yep, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, what are the chances the Suns end this week with a winning with a uh, winning record? A winning record. Uh, okay, so there's like a infinitely small, infinitely small chance of three and zero. There's like a twenty percent chance, maybe of two and one. Let's go with a, like a forty percent chance of one and two, and like a forty percent chance of zero and three. So overall. You know, not a great chance of a winning record. <laughs> I love, it. I love it. Those are those are the chances that I'll take <laughs> as a Suns fan because that's better than we've looked at in the last few that last few seasons. So, uh, we're gonna take off now. This has been a really fun podcast. I'm so happy that we got to record one after a win. We've only done that once so far, uh, so it's been really nice to do that so far um, this season. Um, a couple things I want to say: thank you to everyone that's actually rated us on their podcast apps. We've seen a lot of reviews and ratings. I always forget to bring this up, so thank you so much to everyone that's done that. If you want to do that, you can. It's cool if you don't rate or you don't review. If you're the type of person that likes to rate or review, please do it for us. It, it helps us, I assume. It really does nothing for us right now, but it makes us feel good. So, um, thank you for everyone that's done that so far. Uh, other than that, thank you so much for listening. It's been a fun week. I'm so happy that we have Devin Booker, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does against these teams in the future. 
Shout out to that porn star that was talking shit about Robert Sarver. So, Come on. I'm sitting Hey, Tim Tompkins here from the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. So you just got done listening to the Timeline Podcast. Mike and Sam do a great job. I listen to every single episode. And if you're like me, you want even more Sun's content. So since you've wrapped up this episode of the Timeline, head on over and subscribe to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. Chances are we have a new episode that you will enjoy. The Sun Solar Panel Podcast, available on iTunes, Google Play, and basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.